and welcome to The Double Double. My name is David Dixon, and joining me today on this Monday, January 27th, is the head men's basketball coach of the Pratt Institute, Coach Max Sass. So the plan was to talk about the NBA All-Star Game starters and our many, many thoughts about it, but we do have to start today talking about the tragic news from this past weekend. Uh, Five-time champion, 18-time All-Star and former MVP Kobe Bryant died Sunday morning in a helicopter crash with eight other victims, including his 13-year-old daughter Gianna, John Altabelli, his wife Carrie and daughter Alyssa, Sarah Chester and her daughter Peyton, Christina Mauser, and the pilot Ara Zobayan. They were apparently on their way to the Mamba Sports Academy for his daughter Gianna's uh, basketball game, and there was parents and other children on the helicopter who were all on Gianna's team. The news is obviously very sharp, uh, shocking and heartbreaking for all the families involved. It's hard to believe that Kobe was just in the news on Saturday night tweeting out his support for LeBron passing him on the all-time scoring list, and the next morning he is no longer with us. The news affected not only the basketball community, but the world as well. Kobe was not just a basketball superstar, but a global icon. He inspired millions of people around the world, definitely inspired my generation of basketball fans, yet he leaves behind a complicated legacy, which reminds us all that, like the rest of us, he is human. And yet what perhaps is the most tragic part about this news was that it happened while he was performing his fatherly duties, taking his daughter to her basketball game on a Sunday morning. Kobe had been in the spotlight more in recent years, sharing intimate moments with his daughter and their shared love of basketball. It was a relationship we all would have wished to see blossom over the years, yet it was stolen from us and most importantly from the Bryant family. So here at the Double Double, I want to offer my deepest sympathies and prayers for the Bryant family, the Altobelli and Chester families, the Mausers and the Zobayans, and anyone else in the world who is grieving. So, Coach, I know it might be tough to put it all in perspective so soon, but what did Kobe Bryant mean to you growing up as a basketball fan? Well, first of all, David, I, I thought that was really well done, well said by you. Um, obviously, it, it was shocking, and I really hoped it wasn't true. Uh, when the news first came out and TMZ, it turns out, was accurate and was right, and I was really hoping that it wasn't. Um, for me, Kobe was sort of... It's hard to explain because I was never the basketball player who grew up taking mid-range fadeaways and yelling Kobe, though I still do that in the office where I'm throwing stuff in the trash. Um, and I think that impacts talks speaks to his legacy as well, too. But for me, Kobe was this amazing kind of hot topic. Which way do you feel about him? He was one of the most divisive basketball players um, that I can remember. And I loved how much he got people fired up. And I loved how, you know, even from the beginning, uh, when he was young and drafted, I remember being, you know, just into my not even a couple, you know, not even 10 years old and, and watching Sports Center and hearing them debate 
Vince Carter, Kobe Bryant, who's, you know, who's better. And then obviously, um, you have all the debates of, you know, Kobe, MJ, um, you know, now LeBron versus Kobe and all that stuff. And for me, I always sided with MJ and LeBron, though Kobe over Vince. Um, but it tells you something that he's mentioned in the name with, in the category with those names. And I mean, one of the greatest basketball players of all time, one of the greatest Lakers of all time, he had some unbelievable moments, the 81 point game. Um, I, I hope that I can share some other uh, memories of him that I had, but for me, the thing that really sticks with me about Kobe Bryant was just about how passionate people were about him, whether they loved him or they hated him. They thought he was a ball hog or they thought he was the greatest scorer of all time. He brought out an emotion amongst basketball fans that no one else in our generation uh, except LeBron James has. And, and I, I was too young when Michael Jordan was, was doing the same thing to remember that. So those are the only two guys that have done it since then. And I think that is really the power of Kobe Bryant, that hate him or love him, he was someone that you could not stop thinking about. He was the center of the basketball world. He was the center of basketball arguments and conversation. And, you know, if you wanted to tell someone that, Kobe wasn't as good as they thought he was because Shaq was the best player on the championship team. You knew you were in for a fight because people were diehard Kobe stands and, and he just, he created that support and that love. And he's made such an impact on so many of the people I grew up with and the people I coach nowadays. And he made basketball better in my opinion. Yeah, I definitely agree with you on a lot of things you said. And, just that one thing you said about how when you fold up a you know crumple up a, a piece of paper and you're yeah shoot it into the the trash bin. My generation, my whole time in school from five through twelfth grade at Poly Prep, every single kid yelled out Kobe. Or even when you're you know shooting around on our outside hoops at school, or it would everyone would always yell Kobe. No one ever yelled LeBron, and pretty much my whole basketball watching life really starting in 2009 2010 lebron was probably the best player in the nba but no one was yelling out lebron everyone would just yell out kobe and i remember that uh my senior year of high school was kobe's last season and me and a couple of my friends would on every whiteboard in the school before or after like our class would write in giant letters kobe and then just like leave. And then one teacher got was just like, who keeps doing this? And we all kind of like looked away and it was just like, but it was like his last game. I remember watching and texting my friends when he went for 60 points on 50 shots. That was an iconic moment. But really my first real basketball watching memory of Kobe was the 2008 finals against Boston. Because that's really the first finals I remember. And I was never really a huge, huge Kobe guy in that whenever I watch his games on TV, it wasn't like I was rooting for him. I think I rooted for the Celtics in that one because I loved Kevin Garnett and just his intensity. I was more on the LeBron side of the LeBron-Kobe debate. And even when Kobe was in the Western Conference playoffs, I liked the upstart OKC teams more than more than Kobe and, and the Lakers or rooting for the Jazz. Uh 
there's just you couldn't deny his greatness and just how determined he was and how hard he played and how hard he worked. That was something that was evident even to a super, super young basketball observer and a young player was that you would only like you would hear the stories about him waking up at three in the morning and already be working out for two hours when the trainer would come to then work him out for another two hours, you know? And that was kind of the earliest memories I had was like, if you want to be good at basketball, you got to work like Kobe did. Yeah. Right. Mamba mentality has come to mean a lot of things, but I think on top of the fact that Mamba mentality means that you are the ultimate competitor and just a killer in that crunch time moment. It means that you work so hard when the lights are off to be able to be fully prepared when the lights come on. And, And that's a testament to really what, at that time was the most important thing in his life, which was just constantly getting better and being the absolute best basketball player he could possibly be. Yeah. And what's interesting is that, you know, no one remembers that the black Mamba was a self-given nickname was that he said, Hey, I'm the black Mamba. Everyone called me the black Mamba and everyone just did it. And, (laughs) and the Mamba mentality really turned, as you said, into something where you're seeing all these people who, aren't basketball players or aren't athletes, they're musicians or they're writers or they're just normal everyday people. And they say that the Mamba mentality fueled them to be the ultimate competitors and to never let anyone else outwork them because Kobe was not the best player of all time. He probably wasn't even the best player of his generation, but he was determined to not let anyone outwork him so that he would always be in that conversation. Absolutely. Uh, So here's my kind of Kobe memory. Um, It was 2011. I was uh, I was covering the Knicks game uh, on February 11th, 2011. I was 20 years old for Newsday. Alan Hahn, who was the beat reporter at the time, was showing me the ropes at MSG. And it was actually 10 days before the Knicks had secured the trade for uh, Carmelo Anthony. So if you go back and look at that game. Um, Amari Stoudemire was their leading scorer and Raymond Felton was a close second. So just to kind of give you a feel for that Knicks team that day. And it was two years after Kobe had come in and dropped 60 in the garden. Um, in what, if I'm not mistaken, is still the Madison square garden scoring record. Um, and Kobe came out and he had 19 points in the first quarter. And, I was sitting there just trying to be as professional as possible, dress nicely in my slacks and my button down shirt, you know, in my press pass. And I'm sitting there and I just remember giggling inside trying to say, oh, my God, you know, is this dude really on pace to score 76 points? And I I knew it wasn't going to happen. But the thing about Kobe is that what you're on pace for feels realistic with him, whereas with a lot of other guys, it was kind of like, all right, 19, he'll slow down. And he ended up finishing with 33 that day, and the story ended up not being Kobe. It ended up being, uh, I remember in the press room, uh, it, you know, Kobe came in, and, and the, the questions were all about, hey, do you think the Knicks could use another player? Do you think the Knicks should trade for Carmelo Anthony? And, you know, Phil Jackson got all the same questions. But it was one of those things where you don't realize it until you're there in person and seeing him do it, but Kobe makes the – unattainable feel attainable right he finishes with 
19 points in the first quarter and immediately your brain goes to, oh, this is the dude that actually might just go for 65 tonight. Not, okay, water finds its level. Because for Kobe, there was something mythic and, 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 and different about it. And being in the building that day was one of those things that, honestly, looking back on it, made me go, I love basketball. Oh, my God. <laughs> like, this, Yeah, right, right. This is amazing. Well, I mean, you're obviously a little bit older than me, but to me at least, the myth of Kobe really started in that 2006 season where he averaged 35 points a game and had his 81-point game. Because once he scored 81, it was Kobe to everyone would say, oh, he's Kobe Bryant. He's the guy who scored 81 in a game. And it just, as you said, it made it made any night you'd watch him play say, you know, there is a chance, a realistic chance more than anyone else that he will have 50 points tonight. Or maybe not even 50 or 60 or 80, right? And his career, when you look back at it now, is really interesting because he comes into the NBA as a 17-year-old high school player, doesn't go to college, and he's the best high school basketball player in the country, but he comes off the bench those first two years for, for the Lakers. And he's not like LeBron. He doesn't set the world on fire. He's not Luka Doncic where he's coming in and he's an all-star in his second season, right? He's He took a couple years to develop, and then he's playing with Shaq, and he wins the three championships, and he kind of blossomed in front of everyone's eyes where he w- went from an 18-year-old to a 21, 22-year-old who was fantastic and it became an argument of who do you keep, Shaq or Kobe, right? Yeah, it legitimately it did. And and I think part of the and I think Shaq was leaving on his own, but part of it I think was the Lakers were probably going to pick Kobe. Yeah. And and his career, you know, he has the the famous trade request uh, where it seemed like he might have gone to the Clippers. Then it's. You know him and his and Shaq's falling out. He has the infamous uh, rape case in Colorado. Then he has the the eighty one point game where he's the one man show with teammates like Smush Parker and uh, I think Luke was Luke Walton still on those teams. But like, just somehow you have this basketball savant playing with guys who he should never have been playing with. To he got he fully joined in on the super team era and he had a very successful super team with Pau Gasol and Ron Artest or Meta World Peace, Derek Fisher, Andrew Bynum winning two championships. Then he had the greatest failed super team of all time in response to the NBA not letting him get Chris Paul. Like the NBA said, Chris Paul cannot go play with Kobe Bryant and the Lakers. It would be unfair. <laughs> yeah, that that was a weird thing. I like that. You know, I think it's good that we don't just glaze over the fact that Kobe's legacy is a little bit complicated, right? And um, from his kind of feuds with Shaq to whatever happened in Colorado to, you know, whether he was a quote-unquote winning basketball player or or a chucker. But And I think it's important to understand all those things, but I have to give Kobe a lot of credit because if you look at social media, the the video and the image that I see more than any others 
uh, is the one of him and his daughter courtside and them kind of analyzing the game of basketball together. Yep. And I yep. think it tells you, at least from the outside looking in with no knowledge, obviously, on the inside, is that he really reinvented himself to being a father and sharing the game he loved with his daughter. Um, and then to go back to, you mentioned his 05-06 season where he averaged 30, over 35 points a game. Saw a really interesting tweet last night from Tom Havistra, and he was trying to figure out the impact of pace on scoring. And he, so he went back to James Harden's season this year, where he's averaging, um, I think, like 39 and a half points per game. And then he compared it to Wilt Chamberlain's 1961-62 season, mm-hmm. where he averaged um, 50 over 50 points per game and then adjusted everything for pace. And then he found out that neither of those were the top-scoring season of all time. It was Kobe's in 05-06. So just to kind of put it in perspective, um, Harden this year, the pace number is uh, is about 105 possessions. Kobe played his 05-06 season about 91 possessions. Um and his adjusted points per game, according to Tom Havistra, is the greatest scoring season of all time. And um, that, I don't know, it, it felt like it. him being on the cover of Sports Illustrated, the stretch where he was averaging, you know, 40 for that, uh, that whole stretch there. I mean, his game logs that year are absolutely ridiculous. But... Uh, I, I just thought that statistic was really, really interesting and, and honestly kind of sh- shocked me a little bit. Yeah, I mean, 100%. And, and and what you're saying is, like, it's very true, is that it's Kobe is one of the most debatable players in the history of the NBA because you can take that, that 05-06 season and say this was the greatest scoring season of all time. And you could also le- legitimately say that he chucked the whole season. Yes. And now, what, what confuses me as to his legacy. And I think part of it is that he's one of those guys that just couldn't let it go and wasn't exactly the same player um, at the end of his career as he was in the prime of his career. But I did not realize he was a 12 time all defensive team member. Yeah. That one took me by surprise. I knew he was the two time finals MVP. I knew he had all the all-star game MVPs. Um, you know, five-time champion, two-time scoring team, eighteen-time uh, all-star, um, only a one-time MVP, but the twelve-time defensive uh, all-defensive teams really, really kind of took me by surprise because I don't think of him, uh, and obviously his legacy is more so, um, you know, we remember it as we get older, but I don't remember him being such a a, a locked-in defender, but apparently. Um, you know, he figured it out. I'm well, yeah. He figured it out for a long time. For sure, and you know, I remember more really from 2011 on a true basketball watching, and he was not a a top top flight defender anymore. Every possession of every game, like I'm sure he was when he was way younger, and right. but it would still was a sign of respect. It's hey, Kobe's guarding you. I remember. You know the Jeremy Lin game where they're playing the Lakers when Kobe guarded Jeremy Lin during during that game. It was oh my god, he's made it. Kobe's on him. But Kobe, yeah, that's true. Kobe's also an interesting. Just looking at his year to year 
kind of numbers and averages, you know, he's obviously an elite shooter, and and it's almost kind of a, an interesting question of did he come into the league just a touch too early? If you look at it, he only took he took uh, he took under two three point attempts per game in his first year, um, under three for the next five years. It wasn't until hit year number. Uh, it wasn't until 2002, 2003, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, year seven, where he took um, over three threes a game, and he was at four that year. And, you know, he finished his final year taking seven, over seven a game. But he was in the fives and the fours. You know, it was one of those things where it's, you kind of have to wonder, if Kobe had come into the, the league, you know, five, six, seven, eight years later than he did, would he? Would his numbers be even crazier? Because you have to wonder, right, about his legendary work ethic. If he came into the league and everyone was shooting threes, he would take ten thousand threes every summer, or five thousand, or however many. He would spend so many hours working on his three point shot that, like in in two thousand one, two thousand two, Dave. He took 1.7 threes per game, and he averaged over 25 points per game. Yes. I mean, that just doesn't happen anymore because the game has changed. So part of me is just thinking, what if Kobe had taken five, six threes a game that year like he did, you know, in 2004, 2005 when he averaged, you know, 27 and a half? Right. Uh, It's it's just an interesting thought experiment. Uh, to think did Kobe come you know five years too early and with the spacing we have nowadays you know oh my god with his when he was younger with the type of athleticism he had uh be able to drive to the rim and all his finishes but the the Kobe legacy will now be talked about and written about and discussed I think all year I mean this is uh, it's only January 27th this is the biggest sports related story of 2020 and it it's hard to see anything else topping this. Uh, but the some of the memories of him in his last season, in the last few seasons, add to the legend of Kobe, even if he was no longer that great anymore in as he was battling, but he, he snaps his Achilles, makes both free throws, and then walks off the court, which was which just added to the legend of Kobe that like which made his, I guess, his death so shocking was that it felt like nothing could could defeat him. Yes. Kobe was the highs in Kobe's life. And to be frank, the lows in Kobe's life are so outstanding that it was less about what he did day to day and more about the moments and the headlines that he produced, um, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I think that's very true. I think that's a great way to to leave it for now we'll definitely be talking more about kobe in the months going forward but uh just once again we wanted to give their condolences to the bryant family and all the other families involved in this really tragic uh helicopter accident agreed so moving on to something a little more lighthearted on this monday afternoon the all-star the all-star votes came out for the starters in the West and the East. So televised on TNT draft of the two captains picking the teams of the starters. So it's not East versus West anymore. It's 
Captain A versus Captain B. And the two captains this year are the same that they were last year. It's LeBron James and Giannis Antetokounmpo. So LeBron is drafting his team. Giannis is drafting his team. Joining them on the list of the starters are, I would like to say, an an interesting group. (laughs) Um, In in the East, it's Kemba Walker, Trey Young, Giannis, Pascal Siakam, and Joel Embiid. And in the West, it's Luka Doncic, James Harden, LeBron, Anthony Davis, and Kawhi Leonard. Thank God we're not doing East versus West coach because the West <laughs> would win by 100. Yeah. What, what sticks out to you other than kind of the imbalance between the, uh, between the, uh, the conferences? Of the ones that intrigue me, it's Trey Young first and foremost. Trey yes, Young is I the agree. one that I don't get at all. So Trey Young is a second-year player. He has had a very good season. I'm, I'm not putting anything past. Like, Trey Young is having a great statistical season. He's averaging 29.5 points a game, almost nine assists, almost five turnovers. He's playing 35 minutes a game. but So he's basically averaging 30-9. and nine. Like, he's having an exceptional season. But the Hawks are 12-35 and 35 and last in the Eastern Conference. And they the st- He's putting up ridiculous numbers, but they stink. I think when I kind of did the thought exercise, I had Trey Young as, you know, getting on as maybe the 12th guy on the team. Certainly not as a starter, but obviously coming as the fan vote number one plays a large part of that. Yeah, that's that's definitely a, a thing because I think it speaks to the Instagram, Twitter generation of, they own, people only see when he nutmegs someone and then hits a 29-footer or when he does something else crazy, but they don't see the score. They don't see that they're down 28 points again, and they don't see that they, he's having putting up all these stats in losses because the headline and the highlight is, oh, Trey Young went for 34 again tonight. He had 34 and 12. Well, did anyone ever say that the Hawks lost by 17 and they were never really in it? Yeah, I, it's. I was listening to uh, a Bill Simmons podcast the other day, and he was kind of making the joke, but also the serious point that they have clutch stats, uh, and you can look up, you know, what guys' numbers are in the last five minutes of a game within five points, or whatever it is. But he wants to see um, Trey Young's garbage time stats, <laughs> <laughs> which I it was it was was a little sharp, but. Uh-huh. Uh, Harsh, rather, but accurate in a sense. And, you know, I think the thing that, in my opinion, I thought they got four of the starters correct. Um, I think Jimmy Butler getting considered a front court player instead of a back court player um, takes the deserving fifth starter out of the picture. Um, that's the guy who, in my opinion, uh, from what I understand, plays mostly two guard for the Heat. He guards a lot of guards. Um, I know he's really versatile, but. Uh, if he was a backcourt player, he and Kemba are the two guards who should be starting from the East, in my opinion. Yeah, I I agree with you. And it points out, as what, what we're saying is, I've made it known, I'm not a huge Jimmy fan. But he, oh, neither am I. But he, the way he's played and the way his team has played, 
I think he really deserves it. For sure, because when people see it, he's he's you know only averaging twenty points a game, but he's also averaging seven rebounds and six and a half assists. He's guarding usually the other team's top player, and Miami is third in the East at thirty-one and fourteen. Like Miami has nineteen more wins than Atlanta, and they don't have any all-star starters. And I think that that is, I don't know if that's good for the way that we watch basketball or the way for the league because Giannis is on the top team, Pascal Siakam is in second place, Embiid, the Sixers are 30 and 17, so they're right there with Miami basically, and Kemba's 30 and 15 on the Celtics, so they're also right there. And then you have the star of the worst team in the NBA. Because I don't really, because the Warriors are the worst team in the league this year, but they don't really count because Steph is out and Clay is out. Yeah. So, but of the team that's of the all the guys on the roster, the Hawks are probably the worst team in 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 the league. And yeah, because the Knicks don't. Have, <laughs> my Knicks don't have anybody. <laughs> and 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 the Hawks have the worst point differential in the league. They're right there with the Cavs. You know, they're minus 9.1, the Cavs are minus 9.2. So that's like a bucket here or there. But it's it's I don't know what it means if people, you know, I'm not a Jimmy guy, but the news about Jimmy the last couple of years has not been great about him of not being a great teammate, the trade request, the the third stringer incident when his time in Minnesota. And but all people see about Trey Young is the crazy shots and the dribble moves and everything, and they don't, they don't, they haven't seen any. There hasn't been any pushback to to Trey Young yet, and I'm not trying to create any pushback, but but there has to be of all the things with the statistical revolution, all these sports. It feels like the W, the wins, are becoming less valued. That's fair, and then we'll have to see, you know, if guys like Brad Beal or, or Zach Levine make the team as well, but. I think just to just to have the argument, who let's say we agree that he should not be a starter because I think you're right. To you, is he one of the twelve players in the East who should be an All Star? And if not, who do you have in as the tenth, eleventh, twelfth guys ahead of him that push him out? Now that's a now that's a great question. So you have the four guys who are on the team already. I think Chris Middleton. Should be an all-star. Agreed. Jimmy Butler. I think Ben Simmons should be an all-star. Agreed. I think probably Brad Beal is an all-star just for what he's been through and everything. So, but here's the question. Brad Beal's team has only won, what, like four, five, six games more than Trey Young? Yes. But he's more established teams that aren't this bad. And... And I get what you're saying, but it seems like we are too early rewarding Trey Young when he hasn't done it, done anything yet. He's put up great stats on a terrible team. Brad yeah, Beal... the second best player on his team was out for 25 games, John Collins. Okay. And the second best player on the Wizards hasn't, hasn't played a single minute. Davis Bertans? No. Well, he might be <laughs> the best player on, on the Wizards, but um, John Wall... Yes, I know, I know. So I, I guess here, here's my feeling. How do you compare Trey Young to, say, the two Celtics wings, uh, Tatum and Jalen Brown? I think I think that's a better comparison. I think it's 
I think he's better compared to to those guys. And I think both of those guys, I think at least one of them will probably make the reserve team because because when you because this is an interesting thought experiment because when you go through the East, there just aren't that many guys. It's hard to come up with twelve. The other one in that mix is Malcolm Brogdon, who's yes. really good. Brogdon, Tatum, and Jalen Brown all on good winning teams versus Trey Young, who has better numbers. Trey Young and Brad Beal, who have better numbers, but um, uh, you know, obviously worse teams. I've been counting Zach Levine in this argument. Yeah, and like Andre Drummond will make it because he's averaging 16 rebounds a game. But like, is Andre Drummond really an All Star? See, I'm I'm not sure Andre Drummond will make it because I think Sabonis and Bam Adebayo are having better years. I agree, and it just it just seems like okay, well. The stats is that Drummond has the outlandish stat. He has the he has the rebounds going going for him. And even though everyone who who watches basketball agrees that Sabonis is fantastic and Adebayo's having a breakout year, Drummond Drummond still has the numbers. And you could argue Devontae Graham might be worthy of being an all-star with the way that he's he's played and broken out this year, but he fell off a cliff a little bit, but he yeah, did. I, yeah, but a few weeks ago he was like, "Could could this guy start? Could cut, come off the bench in, in the All Star game?" But it's it's really interesting when you talk about because the East is way better this year from a record standpoint, but the best players for the most part still play in the West, and and I think that's an interesting dynamic. So let's let me ask you about the West because now because you have similar arguments there, right? You have, yeah. um, you know, Carl Anthony Towns is putting up huge numbers, but on a bad team. Paul George is one of the ten best players in the league, but he's been hurt for half the year. And then you have guys, you know, bad team guys like I mentioned Towns, but Devin Booker, Brandon Ingram. How do you compare those guys to say a Paul George uh, and those guys to maybe a Chris Paul type? Yeah, that's that's really tough, and I, that's what makes it so hard when you have to, even though the game is no longer East versus West, but you still choose guys based on their conferences because Paul George deserves to get in because he's one of the 10 best players, but he's missed enough games where it gives you hesitation. And Towns is now in, what, his fifth season, huge numbers. Team is terrible again, currently on a nine-game losing streak, but they he's put up huge numbers and he's made it before like he he should be back if it was just choose the top 24 players right and 100%. and chris paul is having a renaissance there the the thunder are 28 and 19 who would have thought that that the thunder would be in the playoffs five games behind the clippers with basically all the clippers assets going forward not me. Not me. And Gilgis Alexander has been unbelievable, too. I think Paul's a more worthy all-star, but Gilgis Alexander's pure numbers and counting numbers are actually even more gaudy. Yes. And so Chris Paul will, m- might make it. I think that there's a case. I think a tough case is, okay, what do you do about a guy like DeMar DeRozan, the guy who's made a bunch of all-star teams, but the Spurs aren't great. The Portland guards, like, will Lillard make it? Or or CJ McCollum, and I, th- I think Lillard's definitive yes. I think McCollum's a no, and 
personally, I, I think, it, sorry, let me just go back to the one thing that I was just thinking about is, you know, over the past however many years, the 12 All-Stars in the West used to be a debate on only eight of them because or, or nine because there were three, if not four, automatic warriors um, that are not playing this year or that in Draymond Green's case, just not playing All-Star worthy this year. But the West used to have a third of the team set aside for uh, Durant, Curry, Clay, and, and Draymond, right? When they were so great. Yeah. And that's part of what makes it really interesting and why we have this debate. Yeah, I, and it and it's, it is interesting because even though it's not all safe from one te- from one team, there still are the guys. There still are three guys who are reserved no matter what, which is LeBron, Harden, and Kawhi. And yes, the Luca thing. I was surprised he got the starting nod, but I was happy to see that he did because he has been exceptional the whole season. The team is. He deserves it. The team has been really good. They're twenty-eight and seventeen. They're currently fifth conference, and Doncic has played at an All-Star MVP level, averaging twenty-nine points, nine and a half rebounds, nine assists, and he's the guy. He clearly is the guy. Everyone thought. You have to wonder if Phoenix is regretting taking Aiton and what Sacramento is wishing they could have done over again, but give Dallas all the credit. I think it's, what's really interesting is that Trey Young and Luca will always be connected because of the draft night trade where Atlanta and Dallas swap picks. And now they're both all-star starters. And I think that is really interesting. It's another connection between these two guys going forward. Yeah. And the Hawks are sitting there going, all we got to make that swap was Cam Reddish. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. So David, just to make sure, just to see if we're on the same page, uh, we have the the starters in the West of Anthony Davis, Luka Doncic, uh, Doncic, James Harden, LeBron James, Kawhi Leonard. Yeah. Right. Who are your other seven? So just going down the list, I think this has to be the year Rudy Gobert makes it. Agreed. He's been fantastic. Utah is really good. They're second in the West. They're ahead of the Clippers. Uh. I think Lillard makes it, so that's seven. I think he definitely needs to make it. Uh, I think Paul George probably makes it, so that's See, eight. I think I think he's played too few games. We disagree on that one. I, I don't think Paul George gets in, but but okay. Uh, I want to say that my man Jokic makes it. He started off slow, but they're really good again. Absolutely. And so that's nine. I think you could debate Westbrook. That one hurts. You can definitely debate it. And I don't know where I fall on it. I need to hear, I need to be the moderator in a debate and hear both sides to see, to see where I fall on, on the debate. But I think that, I think you could make a better case for Chris Paul to make the team than, than you could Russell Westbrook. Uh, I agree with that. I think, um, Donovan Mitchell for me is in. Yeah. Um, and then for the last, there's three more spots. You have two of them as, uh, or you have at least one of them as Paul George. You know, the guys I kind of had in the mix were 
um, Brandon Ingram and Chris Paul, who I have in both of them. How do you feel about Brandon Ingram? I think he's played great. I think that he's been showing us he's been showing that he's the player one kind of thought he would be. And I think he's a great example of patience and how important that is, is that people kind of, I know some people kind of looked at him as like a bust because at 19, he wasn't like Luka Doncic because he needed time to grow into his body and work on his skills and improve. And he's now the all-star we all thought he was. I, I think he's close because I still think you could argue that if Zion played the full season, what would Ingram look like? Hopefully even better. I, I hope I hope even better, but I would But good question. Yeah. And and I think Ingram, because he's only played a half season of really high level elite basketball, I don't think he'll get it. I think he'll get it next year if he continues up. It'll be like a year and a half. Okay, he's an all star now. But I I hate to say this, but I think Booker will get it because the numbers now are just for so long have been so good. And I think yeah. Towns is and I think Towns is the same way, but I'm not happy about voting those guys in. So the one who's really interesting, and he'll be down there for the rookie sophomore game and all the probably skills competitions, but John Morant. Is yeah. John Morant an all-star? They're they're in the playoffs. They are currently the, the eight seed, Jaws teen and a half a game, three rebounds, seven assists, and fits in with the Trey Young model of the the crazy highlights, the crazy, crazy dunks, the crazy passes. Plays every game. Yeah. And it's hard to believe that Ja and Zion were both at one time on the same AAU team in South Carolina. Yeah. And I love hearing them both talk about it, how like, yeah, we were on the same team, but it wasn't as crazy as you think it was. Like we were both coming off the bench. We were both playing like a year <laughs> up, like, we really were just guys on this team because none of us were like Ja or Zion yet. We were just lowercase Ja and Zion who were filling out the roster. Yeah. Wow. But. All right. So, Dave, I think those are all good points. I'm going to hit you with a couple pieces of trivia. Okay. All right. Um, Luka Doncic, Doncic is, uh, it'll be 21 at the end of February. Um, so he's the ninth NBA player to play in an all-star game at age 20 or younger. Can you name, um, he's the youngest all-star starter since which player? Youngest all-star starter. Since this player. It's gotta be Durant or LeBron. Ding, ding, ding. It is LeBron James, yeah. who's 20 in 2005. Yeah. And LeBron, he's now on his 16th All-Star Game start in a row. Wow. Interesting, interesting. Now, my question for you is not really a trivia question, but if, but if you're LeBron James and you have the first pick in this draft, who do you take? If I'm LeBron James, I ask them to change the rules so I can try to woo away Giannis in the summer of 2021. <laughs> uh, is it? Wait, hold on. No, it, is, isn't that tampering? Yeah, yeah, but there's no tampering anymore. <laughs> um, I, I, I think the answer is Luca. I, I just think he'd be the most fun to play with. Yes. 
Um, I think my last pick would be Trey Young. I agree. Or Kawhi, because you don't know if he's going to play or not. Oh, I would still take him over Trey Young. I, I agree, yeah. I would not want to be on a team with him, and I would not want to be on a team with James Harden. No. Wouldn't it be the greatest thing or for Kawhi to say he's sitting out the All-Star game for load management? That would be awesome. <laughs> that would be really funny. Because cause the NBA would go nuts, right? The league would go nuts that one of its marquee players is skipping the All-Star game. But it would prove that, hey, this is a stri- this is what I need to do. It's not just something so I don't have to go play against Orlando on a back-to-back, but it's like I'm willing to miss the biggest game. This is what this is what I need. Yeah, well, Jimmy Butler did that a couple years ago in L.A. He, he just decided not to play, though. He didn't say it was load management. Right, right. I remember that. I remember that. But if you're LeBron, do you feel like you have to take Davis first because you're teammates? Um, I think he probably talks to him ahead of time and tells him, um, you go to Giannis's team and you recruit Giannis. Interesting. Interesting. So, so LeBron has seen the whole chessboard, you're saying. LeBron is oh, LeBron's going to be so LeBron's going to leave Davis out there and beg Giannis to take him. Oh yeah, this is GM LeBron, not yeah. not not basketball player LeBron. Interesting, interesting. Yeah, I mean, I think you're right. I think I would I would take Luca first. I think LeBron will take Harden first. Uh so that sure. so that he could try to recruit Harden while Davis tries to recruit Giannis. And I think no matter what, LeBron will not take Kawhi because I don't think he likes Kawhi currently because Kawhi chose to go to the Clippers and not the Lakers. And Kawhi helped, you know, uh, strung him along for a while. Yes. Yes. 100%. Or so the way he did it. 100%. And just, just thinking about, you know, it just hit me that the all-star game is in Chicago this year. So we're talking about the East. I think Zach Levine will then definitely make it because they need a local Bulls rep. Tell him to do the dunk contest. <laughs> I, mean, I, just, I am not a Zach Levine believer. I'm not either because he's another guy who thinks he's he, – because he's a wannabe Kobe Bryant. He's one of those guys who grew up in the in the legacy of Kobe who just isn't as good as Kobe. Yes, I, that's the important caveat. Yeah. So – I'm really interested to see what because so who chooses the reserves the coaches? Uh, I believe so. Yes. It'll be really interesting to see what the coaches come out with for the reserves for this game because the West is going to be tough and of who do we of who who like who are we going to leave out and the East will be tough of who do we pick? <laughs> right, right. We got to make sure we have enough people. Yeah, like, sh- sh- like. Should it just be should just everyone on the Bucks go because they're on pace to win seventy games, which I think would yeah. be really funny. Just all right, yeah. the the whole Milwaukee Bucks starting five. Brooke Lopez, you're an all star. Like uh, when the Pistons had that, the Pistons had all five starters in in the game when when Rip Hamilton and the Wallaces were were playing. That that's incredible. I I did not know that. I'm fairly certain. I know the Hawks had it once, I think, when they were really, really good. Oh, with like Damari Carroll? Yeah, it was like Corver, 
Teague, Horford. Uh, so I, I had it wrong. Not all five, but four. They okay. In 05-06, Chauncey Billups, Rick, Rip Hamilton, Ben Wallace, and Rasheed Wallace all made it. I guess Tayshawn Prince got left out. Maybe it was just load management. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, all right, Coach Sass, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, before we go, do you have a quick Super Bowl prediction? A score prediction? or? <laughs> yes, I do. I have, uh, I have the 49ers. Uh, winning the game, uh, 31-23. Wow, a lot of scoring. I think uh, Nick Bosa with three sacks and a fumble recovery for a touchdown is going going to be the MVP. A Buckeye predicting for future success for another Buckeye. I yeah, know. Yeah, uh, that's a lot of scoring. I don't know. If I don't know if I agree the same way, but that's why I have all week to formulate my opinions and before I have to talk about them on, on the podcast. So <laughs> you respond well when I put you on the spot. But, Coach, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk about a tough topic like like Kobe's passing and then something a little more fun in, in, in the All-Star game. Definitely. I appreciate you having me on, Dave. And, you know, obviously it's a really sad day. Um you know, when you lose a legend and, and, and just so many other lives that, that matter really. And, um, it's a sad thing, but you know, it'll, it'll be nice to see the basketball world continue to honor Kobe and, and his family. Um, and, and I thought you, you, you really phrased it very well at the beginning when you paid tribute to, to those in the helicopter crash. Thank you, coach. I, I appreciate it. So, Good luck to you guys over at Pratt the rest of the season. Uh, hoping for a few more big wins. And uh, we'll talk to you very soon. All right, Dave. Take care. Thanks, Coach. That'll do it for this episode of the Double Double. Hope everyone enjoyed. Everyone take care. And make it a great day.